Welcome back to the Active Turnkey Podcast. Today, I am your host, Tom Olson. And as you can see, if you're watching the video, I am not here with Jared Stotemeister. Now, he did a he did one of these or a couple of these without me, um, a, a couple of the previous ones. I know he had one with John Morion, and um, we did one with him all together, with me and him. But uh, he was talking about contractors, and that's kind of something that when you start talking about contractors, I might just take over the conversation because I've been in construction since I was 12 years old. Um, and I just kind of felt like it would be better to have just John on there. Um, but now I get to do a podcast without Jared. So as many thumbs up as you guys gave Jared, I am expecting this one to be the best podcast ever because Jared's not on this. What do you think, Josh? Well, I think the podcast is definitely going to be much better looking. It looks better on. already. Um, yes. And as you guys know, if you haven't, if you followed us enough, me and Jared are actually brother-in-laws. And I actually have another brother-in-law with me here in the studio today, Josh Belk. Welcome to the show. Oh, pleasure to be here again. Thank you. And Josh has been my CPA since I was eight, 19 years old. I still remember him, me and him discussing. Um, it was 2000, uh, no, 1996. I actually read the tax yeah. code. There was a tax code book in 1996, Josh, and guess how big it was? I can't, I can't imagine. It was about no this big. So if you're watching it, it was, it was a book. Today, I don't think the tax code would fit in a book like this. It well, might be like... It's like a library. It might, yeah, it might be a whole library worth of tax code. Uh, but it's something that, that always has interested me. Um, I feel like... I, I still remember, Josh, you coming to me one day. Uh, this was years ago. Not, not, not anymore. But he, he came to me, he's like, Tom, you make more money than anybody else I know and you only that you that only pays a four percent effective tax rate. Because like we were doing things, you know, smart when we started our businesses and trying to set up things to be able to do things properly. And it's one of the things that I always recommend. Like if you're gonna get into real estate, even if you're a passive investor, one of those people you have to have on your team is an amazing CPA that not is just an accountant. Not they just haven't passed their test, but actually understands real estate. So Josh, just give me a little, like, just maybe give me your frustration about, you know, about dealing with people that are dealing with accountants that aren't necessarily real estate focused or real estate niched. And just maybe explain the difference between that, that, that niche of, you know, there's, there's great accountants and they might be great at like a business, but they're, they don't really understand real estate. Well, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you can go, um, somebody may call themselves a doctor, but you find out they're a podiatrist. And you need your teeth fixed. I mean, and even a dentist is a doctor to a certain degree, but I really yeah. probably wouldn't let my dentist, you know, operate on my heart. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of wonderful uh, accountants out there. And, and for the most part, accountants are, I, I, I don't think I've ever met one uh, that, uh, that I felt was, you know, did a disservice to their clients at all. Oh, I um, have. Uh, no, I'm, you, you may have, yeah. Um, Josh is just being nice. I try to be. Uh, my otherwise, He's the nicest uh, guy I know. Yeah, otherwise... Just yeah, ask him. Yes, yeah, just ask him. <laughs> the nicest guy. Um, but uh, in all sincerity, I mean, I think most professionals try to do the best service they can for their clients. Sure. But uh, and, and as you spoke to, you want to have kind of in that cabinet of advisors around you. Usually you want a good accountant, a good attorney that's, uh, that specializes in your area. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about having a, uh, an accountant uh, that, uh, that knows real estate, if you're investing into real estate... Uh, you can find that helpful because generally they're going to understand uh, probably some of the things we'll talk about in this particular podcast as it relates specifically to uh, to real estate investors to know what opportunities are there, what you can and can't do. Real estate is one of those areas um, from both an accountancy and a tax standpoint that are that's a little bit more complex than most of your other. You know, if we talk about a retail, you know, kind of your regular retail business or a service business by far. Uh, just because there's so many different areas that you can invest, so many different directions that you can go, and each one of those nuances and the way that you even structure a deal 
um, may provide a different answer as it relates to what is my ta- what is the tax impact of the deal that I'm doing. Right. I mean, so just, you know, if you're thinking about it, when it comes to having an accountant, it's most people think about taxes, right? But there's really two parts of having a good accountant. One is like making sure the books are right to begin with. And then the other part is that, 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 that taxes, what is my tax implication? Um, and one of those benefits that you get from owning real estate is depreciation, which is kind of what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, but I think that there, there, there's other things to be considered of when you're th- even thinking about depreciation before you even get into depreciation. You know, there are some other things that you can do uh, to minimize taxes, to, you know, have a tax plan. And, and it's something that Josh has been focused on more on with his clients lately, in, and that is tax planning. Actually planning before the end of the year. Because if you plan January or March, like, it's probably too late, right? Correct. Yeah, there's, uh, there's only a couple things you can do at, uh, after the end of the year um, as far as to try to minim- minimize your taxes. So most everything that you need to do needs to be done or, uh, prior to December 31st. Right. So just I just wanted to throw that out there. We're not going to talk all, a lot about tax planning today, but I did just want to make sure that if, you, if I know by the time you're getting this, it's probably in the middle of November. Um, but, you know, if you haven't had tax planning yet with your CPA, either you have the wrong CPA or you need to actually go find somebody that you're actually at least asking some questions to. Right, Josh? You know, I mean, what are, what are some of those questions that you might want to you know consider asking? Well, of course, right now we're still kind of waiting for what's going to happen uh, in relate uh, as it relates. And we talk about real estate because uh, there's going to be some impact there as it relates to some of these bills that are in front of in front of Congress, and uh, it is going to have an impact. On, uh, and regardless, this whole thing of uh, you know it's not only going to affect a certain group of people, it's a bunch of malarkey. I mean, it's it, it basically it's going to impact anyone, and, and probably for most of your individuals that are going to sit down and listen to this type of podcast are going to be over that $400,000 threshold. So a lot of the tax planning this year has been delayed a little bit. Um, and I know even for, for myself trying to put out that year on tax video that we send a tax planning video, we send out to our clients and, and with that scheduling link to do a year on tax planning call has been delayed a little bit because we're trying to wait to see exactly what's going to happen. Um, and I think we have a little bit more clarity now uh, on as far as on what's going to happen. But um, but definitely uh, now that you're into the last couple months, so by the time this comes out, you're going to be down to your last you know, 45 to 60 days uh, to make sure that you're getting in front of your accountant uh, and uh, you're going working through your numbers. What is the um, uh, where are you sitting at now? And then what maybe what are some decisions you need to make for the end of the year to minimize that tax impact? Absolutely. So that I think is the number one question. Where do you think you're going to be? at the end of the year. Um, and I think the smartest of smart ones try to actually start in January. Like if you can kind of start looking in January. So next year, if, if, if this is too late for you in this year, maybe you didn't do it this year very well, you know, think about this for next year, you know, maybe in January, in February, start sitting down and being like, what are my long-term goals? What are my short-term goals? Do I have a lot of income right now that I need, you know, some help on? Um, or am I going to have more income in the future and I need to really focus on more of how do I push this burden on in the future? Which kind of gets on to the, today's topic. I appreciate Josh bringing this up with the bill. Um, and it is something that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, I just have one, you know, two quick questions with this, Josh. Like, do you think, do, number one, do you think it's actually going to get passed? Um, and then, because I think we, we, we just had this discussion at a meeting I was at, a lot of people are not even sure if, if, if anything is going to get passed. And if it does get passed, like, you know, like, I, I think there's always these things where you can start planning for, but you don't really know what to plan for until, like you said, like you can actually see. And I'd like to do a podcast maybe on the whole bill once if, if it actually does come across. So number one, is it going to happen? And then um, I think number two, just kind of trying to think through some of those key things that might, you know, be... be um, be a, be a problem for, for some of us? Well, uh, number one, it will 
of course, we've seen the um, this bill kind of take on different forms, uh, different pieces of it uh, being kind of pulled out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, will will the bill as it is now? Will it pass the way that it's sitting now? I don't Probably think not. it will. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, will something get passed? Probably. Probably. Yeah. And uh, and so as, as we kind of see the direction this is going, um, the uh, you know there there does need to be some sort of something that gets passed to kind of save face, I think, for the, especially for the Democratic side of the aisle. Um, and so what, what essentially that looks like, you know, we kind of have a little bit of an idea. So one thing we do know, if you're a higher income t- uh, taxpayer, in all probability, your taxes are going to go up. Mm-hmm. So if you're $400,000 uh, single, four fifty or 500 depending on which area we're looking at, uh, if you're married, uh, you are going to see, uh, you know, an impact in your taxes. You're going to see the, probably see the QBI deduction, uh, eliminated if you're over that level. Uh, and then also, I mean, they're also talking about this uh, flow through tax, this additional 3% flow through tax. Um, so you're probably also going to be impacted by that. So if you're over that $400,000, half a million dollar threshold, uh, you're probably going to see your taxes go up. Essentially, it's going to be, you know, the elimination of the 20% QBI deduction uh, from your flow through and also the additional 3% tax. That is going to be a material impact uh, on, uh, you know, Tom, you and I both fall in that category. Um, both of us make over that threshold, and both of us uh, have flow-through entities, and so we're both gonna we're both gonna feel that impact. And uh, and to say it's not going to affect the middle class, guess who? From like at my at my firm level, guess whose prices are going up? Could I have to pay more in taxes? It's going to be the guy making under four hundred thousand dollars probably because uh, right. their prices are going to go up. Yeah, I mean, inflation's a whole nother topic. We could probably spend an entire podcast on. Yeah, but I don't yeah, really want to get right. off no, on because yeah, I, I do believe that it is going to be uncontrollable for the next you know foreseeable future. Um, and I have many reasons uh, to, to, to talk about that. Um, now, just to clarify, when you when you say this $400,000 threshold, this is the um, this is your final net number. You That's know, your adjusted gross your income. Your adjusted number. gross yeah. income. So this would be after deductions. This would be after something like depreciation that we're going to talk about today. Correct. Correct? So, so that's why depreciation in this topic, I think, is very important to real estate investors. And um, honestly, I can still remember one of my... Um, investors coming to me telling me that you know they were making enough money in depreciation to not only not have to pay taxes on the money they were making in real estate but also like all their income that they were making outside of real estate so depreciation can be it's a real significant um, part of the equation um, and I think sometimes people don't even recognize it and and, and, you, and you said before and I, I kind of alluded to this when when you're a CPA or when you're doing the books, for just a regular business that buys stuff and sells stuff, for instance, all they have to really worry about is two things. They have to worry about their cash flow, which every business has to worry about, right? And then they have to worry about their PL. There's not really a whole lot of anything else going on. Maybe there's some balance sheet if they're buying items, um, but the balance sheet isn't as complicated as it is when it comes to real estate. So that bringing in that third component of a balance sheet when it comes to real estate, because it's so cash intensive, can really like either make or break, you know, a real estate investor. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So your typical business, uh, especially if you're talking about retail, they're focused on margins. Real estate investors are looking at ROIs. But the, where the biggest difference is is that um, there's the advantage with depreciation when you're getting into real estate, to where you can essentially cash flow in a very positive way on the front end, even though show a negative, a, a material loss right. on the front end due to depreciation. Where if you're in retail or service, you would not be able to do that. And, and this whole podcast actually came up because of some questions and with, with some of our buyers and buying, you know, turnkey rentals. Um, but, but before we get into some of those, you know, specific questions that we're going to get into today, why don't you just like, just define depreciation, Josh, and just kind of give us like a little bit of a high overview of what depreciation is, 
what does it really mean for investors and you know how does how does that actually help investors in the in the short term and the long term okay not to get too much into accounting theory although you know people we like have to get, yeah, we get, get into this get, <laughs> get, uh, geek out on it a little bit but um the the whole concept of depreciation the point of depreciation um in its it kind of in its basic theory form is to do the best that um from an accounting end for a proper matching of income and expenses so if you think about uh, when you when you go through and uh, you actually spend, so I would go out and I were to purchase a cell phone, for example, I'm buying it this year, I write it off this year, okay? Um, but when you get into an asset that has a, this cell phone might last me, you know, might last me six months uh, or it might last me a couple years. But when we talk about a property, uh, we know that that property is gonna last over a period of time. So even though uh, you're maybe even buying cash for that property, to kind of align with the that match that concept that accounting principle of a matching of income and expenses in order to do that you're going to write that property off over an extended period of time and so uh, and I don't know you know and I don't know exactly why they determined um, uh, under tax that a, a property a single family residence for example would be depreciated over 27 and a half years why not 27 why not 15. Under under gap, it's thirty, <laughs> uh, and then with a commercial property, it's thirty nine years, uh, and under gap, it's forty years. So, um, but that is the timeline that we're currently uh, that we're cu currently working under is uh, twenty seven and a half years that you write off a um, or depreciate a property, and uh, the concept of that is to, to kind of the, a matching of of income and expenses. So a matching of when the property's usefulness like became less useful. Right. So yeah. So essentially, kind of what. At some point, they determine the useful life of a residential property is is twenty seven and a half years in its form as you buy when you. So a single it. family. So let's go back. I think you made some key points that I want to make sure that that we we do talk about. So the key points you just talked about is single family is twenty seven and a half years, mm -hmm. and then you said multifamily. Well, depending on how many units. Okay, so, so what does um, that constitute? Yeah, so generally, it's like uh, generally when you kind of get to the point to where you're like a six or more units. Uh, it depends. Of course, a lot of it depends, but it could be six or eight units. Uh, at that point, you start going commercial. Whereas if it's under that, uh, generally you're going with uh, with residential. So a four-unit building would still go under the res 27 and a half years. Mm -hmm. So if you get into this, let's just say I have a 12-unit. It would be 39 years. So then you would depreciate this over a longer period of time, 39 right. years. Which means you're going to get less um, depreciation in the first couple of years. That is correct. Mm -hmm. um, which you know may or may not hurt you. But I, but, but what I think the whole reasoning behind it, though, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, is that you know, you're going to be able to... You know, kind of expense this property, what you paid for the property down instead of in, because let's just say I paid two hundred thousand dollars for a house. You know, the whole theory was actually to protect against, in my opinion, them depreciating or like making that entire purchase an expense, right? So like, it, like let's just say I had two hundred thousand dollars in cash, and I gave two hundred thousand dollars, and I paid two hundred thousand dollars in cash, I can't make that entire $200,000 in expense in year one, correct? Correct. So it's actually, if you look at it, I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's so unfair that real estate investors get to do this. But really, in a way, it could be kind of unfair from a cash perspective. Does it make sense? So most of the time it's not, and this is why leverage comes into this, and this is why a lot of people teach leverage and they think leverage is so powerful. I think that there's there's pros and cons to having leverage and, and not having leverage. A hundred percent, but like just just understand that you know you already talked about the bill 
that, that's coming out. And one of those key points in this bill is like they're wanting to tax you on unrealized gain, which is kind of like it kind of plays into this, if, if you ask me, because like they're basically saying like you might have made money in this year, but you didn't actually take the cash. So we should tax you anyways. But it doesn't take into account. Well, next year you could have lost money mm-hmm. or what about all the money you could have lost that year? Well, this is this billionaire tax. And, and, and you know what? This was actually they actually tried to do this before. Um, actually, I think it was during the Reagan administration. Uh, and it did not work. So right. it's not going to take a great case study for them to go back and look. This was tried before and it didn't work. And it's not it's not going to impact. And it may not, probably not going to impact anybody in your audience that's listening to this. But um, just just the principle of them trying to reapproach this can be a bit scary. And of course, it does create a lot of logistical issues that I, I think is going to be DLA. Right. I, I and I agree with that. Yeah. But I just think the thought of it is like it's kind of it's I think it's trying to combat this. I, if you ask me, like I'm thinking of like I think they're they're looking at how can we. Um, make it so it's not so advantaged because I, but I think because I think depreciation in a way can be an advantage if you know how to take advantage of it, right? Definitely, yeah. I mean, and you're just using the rules and and uh, and I know I've mentioned this when we recorded before, Tom. But you have to realize that the tax code is written in a way um, to uh, to get the individual or the business to act in a certain way. Right. Exactly. And so the point of them instituting some of these rules, we think of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which we did an entire podcast on last year uh, or the year before on, um, was uh, when President Trump and the Congress at the time passed it, was to really encourage individuals and businesses to invest in, in their business, in, in, in their and, business and to and keep in, their business on, and exactly. to keep their employees and even and, into into property because right. it allowed for accelerated depreciation, which we'll get into uh, in uh, in certain areas that was not there before. And um, so it is to get to get us to act in a certain way, and, and if this bill passes in some of this form, guess what? It's going to it's going to get people to act in a different way. You're going to see cryptocurrency even become more of an issue. You're going to see other people moving and acting in a different way right. to combat uh, whatever it is that um, you know the, that essentially the government is trying to get you to do. If it's a negative impact, they're going to find a way to uh, mm-hmm. to to essentially. Um, Take those rules and use them in, in a way that that's favorable to them. Right. I mean, and and, and that's and that's what we always do. But when it comes to depreciation, I'm so d- so defining it as as basically like um, it's a method of proper of, of matching income and expenses, or in this case here, rent and depreciation. So 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 you, I, I, I guess that's like the kind of the legal or the the technical term mm-hmm. or the technical uh, definition. But I think it's kind of, I think practically, it's really like trying to get that property down to like its zero value or how much money you've paid for the property. Like that's really what you're depreciating. You're depreciating what is on your balance sheet. Right. Right. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe can you, can, so, so let's just start there. Like, how do I know what goes on my balance sheet versus what goes on my P&L? Okay. Or, or am I, you know, on the, on the other side of the, of the business? So let's keep number, the numbers easy. So I go through and I, I find a single family rental and I pay $200,000. I, it's an active term key. I bought it from Olson Group. Okay. Um, so I went through and I spent $200,000 on this particular property. Um, regardless if I paid cash, if I got a loan, whatever the case may be, it does not matter. That, that $200,000 immediately is going to be broken down into, into two areas. First, the component is going to be the land. So that land, and generally is 15 to 20% of the purchase price, is going to be apportioned to land. Land is not depreciated. Okay, so land at $20,000 will stay on your books uh, in perpetuity or until you sell the property. Uh, the remaining $180,000, that is the component that's going to be depreciated. So that $180,000, assuming we don't uh, do any of these other t- strategies we'll talk about, that $180,000, you take that number, divide it by 27.5, and that's the amount of depreciation that you'll take. 
And so as you begin to uh, um, depreciate it, then the uh, the depreciation expense is going to go to the is going to go to the the P and L, and then you're going to have accumulated depreciation, essentially reducing the value of that asset on your on your balance sheet. Uh, when you purchase a property and, it's, and it needs to be rehabbed, it's not in service yet. So you buy that property for two hundred, but you need to put forty thousand dollars into it. That twenty thousand is going to go to land. You're going to have that one eighty, and then the forty thousand dollars in rehab cost before that property is in service. In service being when you actually have a tenant in it or it is available for rent and you've marketed it. Uh, that forty thousand dollars is going to get added to the one eighty. Um, so you have a two hundred twenty thousand depreciable basis over that twenty seven and a half years, and then the twenty thousand still remains. Uh, that's going to remain there in perpetuity. So let's just go back to those numbers a little bit because I just did some math on my mm-hmm. calculator here. So you basically said a $200,000 property, you know, again, these are round numbers. Every property's gonna be a little bit different mm-hmm. and some of it's the assessed value, right? You probably pull or maybe, is it just a percentage that you normally pull for land or is it, does that any of that go off the assessed yeah, value? Yeah, so generally, uh, depending on where the, uh, in our case, where the client is investing, um, you know, a, a, a property, for example, in a in a uh, more of a depressed area is gonna have a lesser land value than, than in a, in an area that more that you know is a little bit more favorable or higher uh, higher property values. Okay, so um, but let's let's just use those numbers. Two hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say it's twenty thousand dollars. That that's the land value. Um, that's sixty five hundred dollars a year mm-hmm. in depreciation if you divide that one hundred eighty thousand dollars by twenty seven and a half years. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So that's the amount of money that you're going to be able to take off of off of your taxable income. Mm-hmm. Say correct. so. Let's just say that you made one hundred fifty thousand dollars this year. Um, and let's just say, like, for all intents and purposes, that your cash flow ended up being, you know, $3,000 from, you know, at the end of the year after you paid property management fees and paid taxes and paid everything else uh, on, on the actual asset. Let's just say you end up with $3,000 positive cash flow, which would, would basically mean your P&L says you made $3,000, right? Mm-hmm. So your P&L says you made $3,000. Do you pay tax on $3,000 in this scenario? Well, the three the three thousand dollars. Okay, so the three thousand dollars you're talking about uh, in rent that you collected or after? No, this is after. So they, they yeah. so 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 they collected way more than that because it's. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this two hundred thousand dollar property is probably I don't know fifteen sixteen hundred dollars a month, and let's right. just say that you multiply that times twelve. But at the end of the time, at the end of the day, like they made about you know two fifty a month. You know, so let's just say they made okay. three thousand dollars at the end right. at the at, after all those expenses, they would actually pay. Correct me if I'm wrong. They'd pay three thousand. Like three thousand dollars would be their original taxable income, but then the depreciation mm-hmm. comes in at negative sixty five hundred dollars. So they're actually now sitting at a loss, mm-hmm. a net effective loss on their taxes of thirty five hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. Even it, though it, the it, cash flow says that they might have made money. Correct. Yes. So that so just just to kind of explain what depreciation is, I think we just had to kind of put some numbers there to kind of really, you know, dig into that. Now, this question came from one of our buyers, actually. And so I wanted to kind of dig into this just a little bit deeper because you kind of already explained this a little bit in, in your in your talkings. But let's just say, you know, for this is the Active Turnkey podcast. And the Active Turnkey, we used to do this quite a bit and we're kind of starting to do this a little bit more where let's just say somebody's buying, and I'm buying properties like this myself, even in Florida. The 15 houses I've already bought in Florida this year have all been this way. Um, where I'm buying a house that's already rented, but like I know this house needs work. I know that that the only way that I can get like I, I think the best way I can get a deal right now in real estate and where we're at in this market cycle is I can buy these houses that nobody else is kind of looking at, and a lot of people don't like to buy rented properties, especially during COVID. I'm just going to give you a, a hint there, um, and I think that's part of the reason why you know this opportunity is there. But so there's tenants that are in these properties now. 
and maybe they're under market rent. That's another thing that I've been buying is under market rent properties where everybody's like, oh, that's not a good investment. I'm like, well, I can make it into a good investment once this tenant leaves. So once the tenant, maybe once this lease ends, I can just not renew the lease. I can, you know, I can get, make the place vacant. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to put this $20,000, $30,000 in, into this property. What happens then? Because I think we had some confusion already with a couple of, couple of our buyers thinking that at that point, like it all has to get expensed or de- I think that the word that was used was depreciated, which I don't even think is, would even be the correct terminology in correct. this situation. Um, I would say expense because I think there are some ways that you can expense some of this. And for some reason, I think this investor was thinking that this was a bad thing, that he would have to take all this expense in year one and it wouldn't be spread out. I think it really depends on the person's situation. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Correct. So once a property, um, so if you end up with a, a situation where the tenant um, either has been evicted or um, in this case here, the lease was run out and they just simply move on, uh, then at that point, the property, um, if it is not immediately put back available for rent, meaning it's taken out of service and you rehab the property. So you end up with the tenant leaving and then you have to go in and you have to pour $30,000 into, you know, in gutting a bathroom and and uh, putting in new floors. New kitchens and new floors and repaint the whole place and do everything. I mean, typically those expenses would kind of probably be separated out, right? Correct. So that $30,000 generally um, would be considered a rehab expense. A lot of times you're going to come in, you're going to hire a contractor. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, okay, we're going to do this. This this is the spec, uh, the list of work that we're going to do, and it's going to be $30,000 in total. You write them a check for the 30 grand, and then they go in and do the rehab. So normally that is uh, that is depreciated and going back to that timeline of the 27 and a half years. So you're either so what you're saying is the life of from the your opinion as a CPA that specializes in real estate, right? Normally, and I agree with him. Normally, that entire amount would just go on the balance sheet. Correct. So the balance sheet means the balance sheet's where you depreciate from. You don't right. depreciate from your cash flow. You don't depreciate from anything else. Your balance sheet is what somebody out there is saying that you have into the property. I think the banks sometimes think that that's how much your property is worth. I don't. I think that's a very bad explanation of what the balance sheet yeah, don't, means. Don't go to bankers for, um, for accounting. <laughs> but yeah. but but when it comes to real life, like that, what it really means is how much money you've actually invested in the property that's supposed to give you a lifetime value of the property. Is that a good way to explain what, what the balance sheet? is Yeah, the balance to? sheet essentially, from a cash perspective, is what uh, you have put into the property. Right. It has no bearing on fair market value. It has no bearing on on anything outside of just the book value of that asset. What but you pay to, for less depreciation. Right. But 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 to determine where what where do you put on your balance sheet versus where do you put it on expenses? Like, you know, again, this investor that had brought up this concern because he was actually thinking this was a bad thing for him that if he did expense it all in year one. And I'm sure that there are some very aggressive accountants out there that would try to find a way to maybe expense this all in year one. I don't really think that's the best way to go. I know you don't either as well, Josh. Um, but, and, and I think even even if you want to get really technical, you probably could even have split up this rehab and you probably could have even said, okay, something like a furnace or a roof or you know new flooring or a, gutting a bathroom, those are all balance sheet items, but maybe something like, I don't know, paint or maybe something that maybe is a little bit more considered cosmetic may be an expensable type of item, right? I mean, there are, and, and I think that they would be justifiable in even, you know, taking the time to dig in and maybe getting that, a little extra expense in year one, right? Right. If you get a detailed uh, list from the from the contractor, mm-hmm. kind of going through and, and peeling that apart and see what we can what can we directly expense versus what needs to be uh, go on the balance sheet as a rehab. And to most people, I think that would be considered a good thing. 
Wouldn't you agree? Depending on your goals, what you're trying to do. Right. I, 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 but again, like yeah. I think generally speaking, most people, at least I talk to, they have a lot of income somewhere else and they're trying to figure out where they can mm-hmm. get these year one. Depre- I mean, we've even talked about doing water stations or doing, you know, ATM machines or doing other things that you can get a ton of depreciation, accelerated depreciation year one or expense the whole thing in year one. Um, and, and I think to a lot of people, that's a whole tax strategy that you can take advantage of. Now, we're not going to get into all that complication in today's, in today's podcast. you know, podcast. But um, um, so just like so, 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 so what you're saying is it, let's just say somebody owns a property for, you know, a year and then they it goes out of service and then they do a full rehab. You're saying that, you know, for the most part, you would recommend that m- most or all of that go back on the asset, which means maybe they started with that asset at $200,000 and now the asset is now two thirty. dollars Correct. Mm-hmm. So now the the amount that they would depreciate over twenty seven and a half years would be that two hundred thirty thousand. Actually, not two two thirty minus the land value. So right. we'd be at two ten. Now, one more thing to just complicate. If that is not complicated enough, and if you hopefully you're following this, and I think most people are to a certain degree. Um, but if if to make it more complicated, I want you to make sure that you understand that after year one. And let's just say you depreciate. We talked about $6,500 in depreciation on that property. After year one, now your balance sheet's going to say $6,500 less. Is that correct? Correct. And then year two, it's going to be more less. So it's going to be $6,500 less that mm-hmm. and less that and less that. Now, I want everybody to understand this is not just a one-time benefit that the government thinks that they're never going to get their hands back in your pockets again. Correct? And I think that's the one thing that I didn't even understand when I first got into real estate when I was 19 years old. I just thought, you know, I read Robert Kiyosaki's book and he said this was an unfair advantage. And this was something I knew I wanted to take advantage of. But what I didn't really realize back when I was 19 years old, which was, you know, a long time ago, 45 years ago, 25 years ago, not 45 years ago, 25 years ago, I didn't really, I didn't understand that, that at some point I'm going to have to pay this tax back. Mm-hmm. Right. So just explain that. When do, when do you pay the tax back? So um, when you go through and you sell the property, then at that point, you're going to uh, pay the depreciation recapture. Um, so that's essentially a tax on the, on the depreciation you've taken, which is taxed a little bit differently than the capital gains on the sale of the property. So, so basically, I know we're kind of saying this is an unfair advantage, which it could be. And I know you can 1031 and maybe right. maybe um, prolong this, this, this time frame. But really, like, isn't this kind of like a Roth IRA for the government? Well, That's how I, I kind of almost look at it. Like government is giving you this benefit, but they are thinking in 30 years, and they know this, in 30 years, that $200,000 property, how much you think it's worth? But yeah, in 30 years, it's probably going to be double at least. Yeah. So let's just think about this, everybody. Like if the $200,000 property is worth $400,000 and it, you've owned this property for 30 years, how much are you paying tax on, Josh, then when, when you sell the property? Because you've completely depreciated. Boom. Yeah. So now you are paying tax on a balance on a, on a balance sheet item on an asset you didn't actually pay for. Um, you, you, and you're paying tax on the entire amount. So, so just, so, so just make sure that you understand that in, in, in some ways, I think some people think this is unfair and even Robert Kiyosaki calls it the unfair advantage of depreciation in 1031. Um, but in some ways, like it, it is just like what you started the podcast with. It's a way to balance, you know, um, what was the, the term that you used? Like to balance? It's basically, just a matching. A matching. Match. Right. Mm-hmm. To match, you know, one side versus the other side. So at the, at the end, like this isn't some great gift that the government's giving us. Um, I think a lot of people like think of it like that. You're going to have to pay it back at some point. You're going to have to pay the piper. Um, and you know, it, this is part of the like 
reason, like, right after this podcast, me and Josh are going to be talking about my own personal taxes saying, because there's some properties I know that we depreciated down and we sold and we sold for a lot more than what we paid for the properties. And I'm thinking, I need to do some tax playing. What do I need to do, you know, to maybe, you know, minimize this tax? And, you know, I think there's a, the, the, the 1031 kind of comes into play just a little bit here. But I, I mean, I think I'm of the mindset. And I think you are, Josh, too, because we've talked about this, like, do I even want a 1031 right now? I mean, chances are in 5, 10, 15 years, like the rates are gonna be higher. Those rates may be a whole lot higher than they are today. It might be better to just pay what you can pay now or do some other tax strategies to minimize your yeah. tax today and then not have to pay that 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 future, you know, gain that you're gonna have to get tacked on to that next, you know, balance sheet item that you'd end up paying um in the future, right? Right. Anything else, Josh, that you want to just kind of wrap up with depreciation or anything else that you think that we didn't cover today that you thought might be helpful for, for our audience. I think it is something that you need to understand. And I think that it's something that you can take advantage of when the time comes. But at the end of the day, I think most people, it seems like at least our audience doesn't quite understand. I want to make sure that there's a good understanding there. I don't know if you want me to touch it all on, you know, cost segs and real estate professionals. Sure. Yeah. Let's okay. get into that just a little bit. Cause I kind so, of feel like that, I think that's where there's some confusion. I think this, even this accountant might think that you know, you just depreciate it all in year one. I mean, that's what the one investor said to, said to the other investor. And I'm like, I don't think that's right at all. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I would I would question whether or not the person was actually an accountant. You know, whether they really knew what uh, really knew what they were doing or practicing. The um, so when you go through and you purchase a property, and a lot of strategy that um, that individuals go through, and even sometimes those who are not um, uh, savvy in real estate investing, so they may uh, you know they're well, nobody works really a nine to five anymore, but whatever their W two job is, they feel that they can leverage that by taking advantage of real estate because of this depreciation. So they feel they can go through and purchase a piece of property and uh, and then have what's called a cost segregation study done on this. And we've done this for you and, and other clients as well. Uh, and so what you do is you take that property and you break it down into a smaller components. So a real, as, we, as you've mentioned many times throughout this podcast that uh, normally a, a rental property is depreciated over 27 and a half years. When you go through and you, um, and you have a cost segregation study done, it breaks that that property into into multiple components. So you have kind of the, the furnishings uh, inside the property, um, which essentially anything from inside the walls, uh, and then you have um, uh, then you have the land improvements, and so it breaks it down these other components that can be depreciated over a shorter timeline, which now currently under the, the current tax rules you can take that full depreciation in year one. So essentially, uh, so say for example that. $200,000 property, we have the 180 that we're depreciating. Normally, uh, you know, about 20 to 25% of it in a single family rental, you'd be able to go through and write off immediately in year one. So that 180,000, if we say 20%, uh, uh, doing some quick math here, what's that number, $36,000 in depreciation you could take in year one. Now, you can take that full depreciation in year one um, and you can actually run that rental property into a loss. So say that $36,000 essentially from a, uh, from a net income end, on your on your um, uh, on your financials, uh, will kind of run that down to say you just have that one property uh, you collected. Um, say after you're renting your expenses, you have ten thousand dollars remaining prior to depreciation. You have a cost segregation done, so now you're at a negative twenty six thousand dollars net income from your rental. Now, if you and to are, most people, they would say that's a good thing because right. most people that are doing strategies like that are have they have income somewhere else that they're trying to reduce tax exposure to. So here's the problem: if they are not uh, managing that property, so they and in many times people when they go through and they purchase a property, they don't have time to manage that property, so they turn it over to a property manager. So they're not even an active real estate investor; they are just simply a an investor with another. They at that point, somebody who's in that seat cannot 
take any of those losses and offset against their and their income. Now, if they're actively involved in the management of that property, mm, I got you. then they can uh, they can expense tw- up to twenty five thousand dollars over the uh, um, so essentially they can recognize up to twenty five thousand dollars of losses against their active income. And if they are a real estate professional, meaning they they meet the hour requirements, and I don't want to do a deep dive into that, um, but they meet the hour requirements during the course of the year, then at that point their losses can be unlimited. So in that situation, they'd be able to do you know cost segregation across a bunch of properties. We had a client last year that did I think forty five cost segregations on single family rentals, massive massive losses. We're gonna we're gonna carry do basically an NOL carry forward. Um, so you have to realize um, when you go through and you purchase a property, if you're wanting to use accelerated depreciation as part of your tax strategy, understanding what you can and cannot do. So make sure you're having that conversation with your accountant, and then identifying which properties it makes sense to do this. If you have a portfolio. Um, to maybe, you know, you have some of them that are cash flowing really well. Uh, you bought another property and you want to use that accelerated depreciation, even though you may lose money on that one from a tax perspective to use those losses to offset against your other mm-hmm. rent income. It's a really good strategy to, to, uh, to minimize uh, some, of your, um, some of your other passive income if indeed you're in a situation where you're not a real estate professional or an active real estate, uh, active in your real estate. Awesome. So I think what you're saying is talk to your CPA. Yeah, so you so everything that you do, um, and be really careful because there are and talk to your real estate CPA. <laughs> yeah, so um, and you have to be really careful because uh, you know sometimes we end up with these conversations to where um, where we'll we'll have someone and they have somebody out there trying to sell them a property and using that as a selling point to say, oh, you can buy this property and you can do this, this, and this, and take all this money and offset it against your you know your income as a doctor, as a chiropractor, or whatever it is that you do, only to realize when they have their tax return prepared that. Their account looks at them and says, "Well, you can't use that depreciation to offset." So, just understanding, um, you know, when you're using real real estate, is a very, very, extremely powerful tool. There's a reason why uh, most of the wealthiest individuals in our country um, really are focused heavy on investing in real estate. Um, but just to understand um, how real estate works for you in your situation. And not only that, like maybe just because you can doesn't always necessarily mean that you should. Right. Um, yep. So like, you know, and, and I think that that's why like you have to have the conversations and you, you need to understand it because I think the more you understand, the more it allows you to kind of like tweak things from year to year. Because from one year, I might want to do some of these strategies and the next year I might not want to do some of those strategies. And just kind of understanding what, like I said, your short term, your long term, medium sized goals, your medium term goals, all those goals, like trying to figure out what they are and how like it's going to affect you. Because if you take accelerated depreciation, it's going to affect you not just this year, it's going to affect you in the future as well. That's correct. And it's just one of, it's just one part of the entire conversation you're going to have as it relates to using real estate as part of your investment portfolio. Um, so of course, there's so much more that goes into it when, when we talk about your goals. So if mm-hmm. your goal is, sometimes, a lot of times when people get into real estate, it isn't necessarily for depreciation. They're looking for that kind of that long-term residual mm-hmm. they're going to get. And that, right. that, that, that conversation sometimes is more important than the And even sometimes this can be, you know, and one thing we didn't talk about that has, has still not been taken off the table. I know that there was time at one point where they were talking about it. Um, is talking about that stepped up basis. So it's one thing about depreciation that is a, it's a great legacy when you're talking about passing on wealth mm-hmm. to the next generation. Like, I'm not sure, Josh, if there's very many ways that that give you that. Then that is a free benefit. That is a benefit that really, if you want to talk about unfair, when it comes to families being passed on, mm-hmm. like so. Let's just say, let's go back to this two hundred thousand dollar property, and you depreciated it down to zero after thirty years, and then you end up dying and passing this on to your heirs. Well, they get a brand new stepped up basis, which means now if the property is worth four hundred thousand dollars and the land's worth forty. 
they get to depreciate $360,000 over the next 27 and a half years. And it's really like this massive amount of benefit that like, you know, I think I think sometimes people are like, well, I want to sell the property because I don't want to, you know, give the hassle to my the next people. But like, you think you, 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 there are some things where if you made that decision, you know, it may not be the best decision if, if you think, um, especially if you think your, your kids can handle. I know that there's, you know, other worries and concerns about passing on things to kids. Um, but it is something that I know at one point it was on the chopping block and they wanted to get rid of it. I don't think it's in this current bill that we're in today. Um, but, you know, and maybe some point that might go away. We don't know. Um, but it is like when you talk about depreciation, that is something that part of the conversation that most people should have because, um, you know, even determining if I want to sell a property or not, like those, you have to kind of think about all the ramifications of all those decisions when you, when you are in real estate. Right. No conversation should ever be siloed into one area. It's always, uh, or the best conversations are ones that are holistic in nature mm-hmm. to where you're taking, uh, overall long-term goals, long-term uh, strategies. What are you, where are you trying to go? What direction are you trying to go? And then instead of just trying to silo your decision based on just one year, uh, what's happening right now, but taking that long-term view, um, and most people, I think, have this have the mindset that, and I would agree with them most of the time, that I want to eliminate as much tax as I can this year. <laughs> but just understanding that, um, you know, that does come with future consequences. You may have to pay taxes, and especially at higher rates, um, in the future as well. So, you know, thinking through that, sometimes it might just be better off to pay some tax, um, or think of a different way to be able to, you know, come up with 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 how to um, maybe minimize taxes in different ways. Yes. Anything? Any final thoughts, Josh? I don't think so. All right. Uh, All right. We probably have. Uh, we did a bang up job. I tell you, this is the best podcast we've ever had here at the Active Turnkey Podcast. Um, I'm sure we're going to get two million views on this one instead of one million. We've been just hitting that like super high. Um, that mark. I, I know, Josh, you're you're surprised, but you know the crowd is going wild out there. Just so you know. Yeah. Every time an accountant starts talking. Usually these people go to sleep. <laughs> and honestly, Josh is an accountant, so but I think that from the Active Turnkey podcast, and I know we have a disclaimer at the front. I don't want this to be um, construed as necessarily legal or tax advice, but Josh is an accountant, so a lot of the stuff that was coming, you know, was coming from him. Um, but I just want to give you a, just a little extra disclaimer on this one. But make sure, right, Josh? Even you would say this. Make sure that you are talking to your accountant. Um, and that you are having these conversations. I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest you know, takeaway that I'll, I'll try to give to this podcast the audience today is make sure you're having these conversations. Make sure you understand what you're doing. Um, and at the end of the day, hopefully, um, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to take advantage of depreciation in the best way that it suits you. That's going to do it for today's episode. Josh, thank you so much for investing in our audience. If somebody would like to get a hold of you, do you have a website or something that you can um, join or share with the audience? Sure. The firm name is Lodestar.tax. It's L-O-D-E-S-T-A-R.tax. Uh, contact information's on there. Shoot us a message on there. We're, um, I'm on all social media platforms. Uh, not all. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can reach me uh, on either one of those platforms as well. And Josh also has a podcast named Belk. On business, yeah, right? on business podcast. Uh, we just, I think, put out, we're, we're right around 120, 125 episodes out there. So. And I'll just tell you, most of the podcasts are really good. There's well, some that are kind of dry. I'm just going to be honest with you. He's an accountant and he'll probably take that with, he'll understand where I'm talking about. But right. sometimes, but most of the time, dude, he's, this is like the best podcast out there, like, except for the Active Turnkey podcast, of course. Uh, but, but honestly, uh, thank you so much, Josh, for having this. I listen to most of the podcasts and I'm telling you, like, I've even 
texted him and said, that was a good podcast. Appreciate it. It was good. Um, so thank you again, Josh, for being on that podcast. If you are interested in turnkey rentals, we do build rental portfolios for investors. You guys can contact Jared at jared at Um, or you can get on our website, get on our, our um, buyers list at buyolsengroup.com. That's B-U-Y-O-L-S-O-N. Uh, group.com. Um, and if this was valuable to you, if you learned anything, give us uh, five stars on the podcast, give us a share or like, or, and really what probably matters more to me is to tell your friends about us, really have those conversations. Um, you know, if you're interested in Josh's tax services from a high level, I know that he's kind of limited who he can take on. He does, he is really only looking for specific real estate investors that are, are at a high level. Um, but if you're interested in his services, you guys can contact him as well. I'd highly recommend him. I've been using him since I was eight, 19 years old. Um, and he's been a good friend to me as, as well through the years. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. Um, Active Turnkey, the best way to buy rentals. God bless.